Embark on a journey with us where resilience meets opportunity. This is The Dirt Road to Success. Hi, I'm Skip Colvin, host of Dirt Road to Success. So what is the Dirt Road to Success podcast? This podcast is about real stories with real people. People that have gone through struggles, difficulties, uh, falling down, but getting up and keep moving forward. Today's show is really about blending families together. So it focuses on the family section of the book. So how do blended families work together to become successful? I personally uh, have gone through a blended marriage, and my son is here with me today, so I'm excited to have him uh, on our, on our, as a guest. But the reality is, is that any blended family that has children goes through challenges. They go through opportunities, as we'll call them, uh, to better themselves and to blend together as one unit and work together. That really wasn't the case in the beginning with us, and we're going to talk about that. But statistically speaking, first-time marriages... 40 to 50% of those first-time marriages end in divorce. That's where we are today in the U.S. But more importantly, the second marriages, 60 to 70% of those marriages end in divorce, and a third marriage is even higher than that. So this is a topic that I believe that everyone in America can really dive into and begin to understand that the blending of two families together is difficult. It's challenging. Rarely do you find a blended family, just cohesive right off the bat. So we're going to talk a little bit about the challenges that I made, um, mistakes that I made, challenges that we overcame with my son today. So I uh, just want to welcome uh, Michael Cole Hayden. We call him Cole in the family. But Cole, glad you're here. Uh, look forward to kind of going through this. Um, but let's talk a little bit about your background and, and what you do, where you've come from. Um, and, and just kind of give us the preface of that. I know it, but we want our audience to know it. Sure. Um, like I said, I'm, uh, Michael, so I go by my regular life, uh, day to day, but the family's always call me Cole. Um, I build homes. Uh, I like to build things more than homes, just construction in general. Uh, I like the idea of taking something or nothing to something. That's it? You like that? So uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Cole. So he's given the uh, abbreviated version. So um, Cole, from the very beginning, loved to tear things apart, okay? Whether it be a radio, uh, whether it be a, a desk, or anything he wanted to tear apart and put back together. So very early on, I knew when I met him that he was going to be able to work with his hands. Uh, he actually he went to work for my brother-in-law for uh, several years building homes, learned a lot of stuff. Now he's uh, building homes for another company here in Houston. Super proud of him. He's super successful. Uh, but, you know, then again, I'm, I'm, I'm a little biased. So, uh, but, you know, talking about uh, growing up, let's talk about the very beginning. Sure. So your mom and I begin to date. We've been married almost 21 years. We begin to date. What is your first impression? Uh, blind rage, fury. <laughs> I mean, if I'm being totally honest, transparent, I mean, okay. at the time, I mean, it, uh, I was angry at the world in general and it just added a compounding factor into the mix. So why do you think you were mad at the world? It wasn't going the way I expected it to, but I think as we do in life, we expect things and we're let down. Uh, and that's one thing about getting older, you realize the less you expect and the less 
you try to have a tight grip on everything, the easier life is. So how old were you? Uh, how old was I? 2001, 2002, 2003 is when y'all got married. So 11, 12, right at the beginning. Yeah. 13, maybe. 13. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think 14 when we got married. Um, obviously, I'll talk about just being a teen. Um, raging hormones, right? Absolutely. Um, playing football, um, you know, going to school, small school, um, a lot going on personally. And then this jerk comes along. Uh, it's going to date your mom. And um, tell me, tell me what your whole passion was in trying to run me off. Well, that's uh, you say jerk, and it's just I, I, I think had it been anyone, I mean, it, it was not to you. I never took the time to to know who you were. Uh, it, at the time, I did not care. It did, did not matter to me. Uh, I was a bit of a nihilist at a, at a young age. Um, <laughs> I just refused to accept um, circumstances that were beyond my control. I mean, I wanted to do whatever I could. I mean, I think we paintballed your car. I mean, we definitely got multiple physical altercations. <clears throat> I mean, I... Uh, I've always kind of been a bit ahead of my time, more so than I should have been for sure. Uh, I always thought of myself as a grown man from the time I was 11, 12, 13. I never, I think a lot of adults at the time had issues with it because they're not used to children having such opinionated and passionate um, ideas on life and the way it should be. And again, as I get older, I realize, you know, having those expectations or what it should be versus what it is um, so important. It's like I, I, I don't do my personal best. Let the rest be as it is. But that wasn't the way then, was it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> tell me, not. Tell me about some examples of, of things you did. Maybe I know, maybe I don't know. Um, I do know about the paintball in the car, though. Yeah, I mean, paintball in the car. Like I said, the the that was a company car, by the way. <laughs> so I wasn't near as upset. But you know, like you just said, um, material things to me then were very important, a very high priority. And I remember making some mistakes around those material things, putting those above really your welfare. Not not per se that anything was dangerous, but you know. And I'll, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but tell me some examples of, of uh, times when you wanted to just do things or destroy things to run me off. The paintball is one that sticks out the most in my mind. Um, like I said, us getting into fights, it's just I, I've spent a lot of my uh, adulthood not forgetting, but making amends with everything uh, we went through. You know? That was then the past I, I tried my hardest to leave in the past I don't like to um live there just because I mean it's unnecessary at this point in my life I'm I'm constantly focused on the future I mean yeah that's good I mean sometimes even so much that I have trouble living in the present I mean I'm the older I get the more I look in the future because there's so many things that I want to do with my life and so many things I want to provide for my daughter um that I just it ends up being fruitless i mean to live back there but well, one of the things i think we'll talk about in a little bit is is that transition 
And so think about the pothole, the whole theory behind going down the dirt road and hitting the potholes. All those little bitty potholes that we went through. Absolutely. Um, you look at where we are now, and I feel like we're on a paved road, son. I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, because we have made that transition. But those potholes are really what defines what we look at in the past. So I think the things that make me the most proud is that even though, and you just mentioned it, even though we went through those difficult times, the altercations, the, the fighting back and forth, the destruction of property, the, you know, uh, whatever the case may be, those things are in the past. And I think when you think about it, and this will be another show, but when you put the triangle of God in a relationship where you can forget about that, forgive that, and move on, uh, honestly, I think you probably struggle with it way more than I do. I've forgotten about it. It's, it's so far in the past, all I'm looking for, like you, is how much more closer do we get? How much more can we do together? Because we actually love hanging out together, Absolutely. whether it be shooting guns or, or building houses together or doing projects together or hanging out, having a cold beer. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a dynamic change, and that's the hope. That's really where I want this conversation to go with other dads and sons. And, and to bring that up, one thing that um, just as an example one thing is I never called you my stepson. Never would. Because when I married your mom, I knew that you and your brother were a package deal. The same as with our daughter. You know, she was a package deal. And your mom and I were on one front with that. Is we're going to treat you guys like you are my own. And I've never tried not to do that. Now, from my upbringing, as difficult as that was, I was treating you the way that I was treated. And so for me, being in my early 30s, being thrust into teenage boys, um, I did not know how to respond to that. And I think it would be hard know, for anyone to. I mean, me at 34, I couldn't imagine what you went through. Yeah, you were, you were my age, you know, at the time all this was going on. Yeah. And, and you think about, you know, I don't know, I don't know where the book was lost, but when, when sons are born and daughters are born, and this manual comes with them. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure where those went, yeah. but they're not. I didn't get one. Absolutely. And so, what what I saw in you was this combativeness. And so, what I did was brought in my own worldview and my rose-colored glasses of how I was raised, and and our combativeness. And if you think about, it, I'm the youngest of seven, and the only one to make it past the age of 15 in the house. So. It was a very harsh environment. And you know that. We've talked about that before. Um, so I did not have the frame of reference to know how to handle the communication piece. Um, you were struggling with communication because you were just mad at the world. I just happened to be in the world. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I think your mom and I really stayed hyper vigilant on was being on one accord. And we may disagree and she disagreed a lot with the how I did things. She really did. But I was so new at these teenage boy things. Man, I was screwing up every day. But we would get in the bedroom and talk about it. And I'm like, I'm still trying to struggle. And then something happened. Something happened to me 
in 2004 that I saw compassion in you. Um, I saw a compassion and a love for me that you didn't even know you had. Um, and that was when my brother killed himself. And uh, I remember you being there when I uh, did the funeral. And uh, you gave me a hug. And that was the first time, the first time I felt that you really loved me, whether you believed it or not at the time. Um, and that was a big struggle for me, you know. And you know I struggled for a long time with that. Uh, for me, that was a turning point. And um, some of the mistakes that I feel like I made was, was not sitting down and communicating and finding out who you were. Um, I did recognize certain talents in you. Um, first, you're, you're way smarter than your grade showed. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I, I do know that for a fact um, because I could tell in the way you articulated messaging. I could tell in the way you took things apart and how you focused, hyper-focused on doing certain tasks that you wanted to do. Now, breaking the yard was not on that list. <laughs> okay. but, um, but I did see things in you that I knew. Now, your mom and I thought it was, when you graduated, it was thank you, Lottie, not cone Lottie, right? <laughs> uh, but, but we were excited that you got out of school. And so I want to kind of shift it a little bit to that. You get out of school. Uh, we bought you a mobile home. Uh, we gave you the title. We put it in a mobile home park. Um, we gave you your car, you gave you your car title and say, all right, here's a Votech school. When you get out, you're on your own. And, and why, in your opinion, do you think we did that? Get them the hell out of here. <laughs> why do you think? Uh, allow me the, the independence to, you know, if he's not going to listen to us and he's not going to take the advice and try to avoid the potholes and mistakes that we've made. He's got to figure out his own, which is absolutely what I needed. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I failed a lot as a young person. Yeah, I made a lot of mistakes just because I went from, uh, and I don't know if you share this opinion, but a militant environment is what I felt like uh, when I was in, in school. And I get it as an adult now. I mean, managing a 12-year-old of my own. Um, tr the ebb and flow of trying to allow the freedom, let them to mess up, and then drawing it back so they don't go too far. Uh, and for me, I just never felt that I was doing as bad um, as the consequences were. But, I mean, I had long wheels when I was younger. I mean, I was so angry, and like you said, it, I'm always says I, I, I stepped to a uh, beat of a different drum. Um, and I really have my entire life. I always go uh, against the status quo. Whatever the crowd is doing, mm -hmm. I want nothing to do with. I remember the shoes. I yeah. remember the clothes. Lime green shoes. <laughs> um, I joked about bringing shirts today. I literally bought a leopard shirt with me just in case. Yeah. Uh, I like not being different, but being unique. I mean, I mm -hmm. just want to be my own person. I don't want to be... Someone wears the, the football jersey everywhere, and that's part of my identity. I want people to know me and recognize my name, and I am my own person. They're not attaching Michael Cole Hayden with anything else but my own brand. 
But yeah, I think it was just, like I said, allowing me to have that freedom. And I, I took it, and I ran with it, and I did whatever I want. And, I mean, I see so many young kids that just live inside this bubble. Um, actually, I, my friends were telling me last night about this kid that, I guess, went camping down by the river. They live out in 1488 uh, and went missing, and the parents didn't know where he was. And I think this was the 5th of December, whenever he first left, and now we're coming up on Christmas, and they have no idea where he is, so they're mm. terrified. Um, after finally finding out he's in California. How old is he? I, I, 17. And it's a terrifying story from a parent's perspective, but as a young person today in today's world, the, the, the amount of tact that it took for him to do that, that kind of wild, um, just adventure he must be on. I, I admire it so much as much from a younger person's perspective, because so many kids are just stuck in their bubble and uh, inside the house. And, you know, when we were kids, we walked the creek for hours. Yeah. I mean, from the sun up to sundown. Same here. We were just out. Yeah. Um, and to hear that, like I said, it kind of inspired me. Like, it's not all totally gone. Mm-hmm. That somebody's capable of. Now, what they if, left their phone at the house. What if your daughter did it? Yeah, absolutely. From a parent's perspective, it was terrifying. Yeah. Big time. But I think that type of personality is what changed the world. I mean. Let's talk about the adventure side of that then. Um, do you feel like, or what is your impression of um, me trying to create an adventures when you were teenagers, you know, before you got out of high school? Oh, I think it was tremendous. As much as I would never tell you then, I absolutely always enjoyed going out and riding four-wheelers or dirt bikes. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. Um, and those things compounded with, the times when you were compassionate, even though you had no reason to be. And I ever, I went and got in the car accident when I worked for the electric company. Um, Mom was, I think, out of town. And, you know, just a day prior, I had literally pulled my pants down and showed you my behind and told you to kiss it. And you showed up the next day. I'm completely all over the place because I literally just rear into somebody. It was going down 55 miles an hour, down 105, and somebody pulls out of the turning lane. I'd looked down at the clock and looked up, and I'm in his trunk. Uh, and you showed up with open arms, no doubts in your mind that, you know, what you were there to do and take care of me and help me figure it out, help me navigate what was going on. I mean, those little moments, I, I don't remember or don't know if I ever told you thank you, but, I mean, it meant the world. Mm. I mean, those are some of the real big. I don't oh. even remember that wreck. Um, I remember the one in your car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the changing factors that made me waver on my angst and fury against you. Um, like I said, I wasn't mad at you. I was mad at the situation. I mean, you just happened to be in it. (laughs) You you think, you think, uh, young people when they obviously first, let's talk about the trauma of divorce. And I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if both parents want it. I don't care if one wants it. I don't care if neither want it. The trauma falls on the kids. Absolutely. I saw it with you guys. I saw it with my own. I see it with other people. I think, and I don't know, I'm not an expert, right? I'm not a psychologist. But what I have experienced and I see is I wish that we could, any couple that's getting divorced, if that is the ultimate decision that you have to make, counseling should be mandatory for kids 
because they're the ones that get their heart broke the most. Absolutely. Adults get a chance to move on. Adults get a chance to create a new life, so to speak. But the children, the kids, are the ones that are so fractured in that. I see that now. Um, even though I was raised in a, in sometimes a very volatile environment, you know, my parents stayed together. Uh, my grandparents adopted me, as you know. I mean, the years don't, but so. But, but my grandparents stayed together, even in the some interesting arguments and times. Even though, you know, most of the kids were, you know, just to lay it out there, it was there was some difficult situations. But but counseling could have helped and will help and could help young people going through this to understand that the net the if your parent gets married again they're not the enemy now i'm not saying that's in all cases and and i believe that anybody getting divorced should go through some counseling because you have to understand how to compartmentalize what happened i needed counseling after my divorce and I, I've dealt, mental health issues are real. There's no doubt. You and I both know it. We've talked about it before. Um, but going to counseling is healthy. It helps you break down the vulnerabilities or these walls around vulnerabilities so that you can repair and work through processes to get where you need to go. I think it also, I think counseling helps you get focused more on the objectives. I think it helps you get past that. So, kind of off my soapbox on that but no no no. i mean i think you're absolutely right and i mean aside from just counseling being able to talk about it is huge i mean so many people are uh, afraid to be open and raw and have a conversation um and that's where a counselor can definitely come in and be of assistance because they are professionally meant to open conversations i mean let people talk about it and getting it out i mean is the first step is being able to talk about it and letting it out of yourself because the longer you hold it in i mean that was my biggest problem i'm not the biggest talker i'm not a man of ton of words i can when i need to but it's it's not uh my biggest goal to be heard i'm much more of a show you what i can do and listen to me tell you what i can do type of person um and uh I held on to so much for so long, just not letting it out. I didn't tell you I ever how I felt about you and like how I felt about the situation. Just was angry towards you. That's the way it came out. Um, but for young people, I think it's hard because even with conversations and counseling, I mean, at the time for me, I don't know what it's like for a 10, 11, 12-year-old, 13-year-old uh, today um, outside of my vicarious experience through my daughter. Um our perspective is Saturday morning cartoons, mom cooking us breakfast, you know, occasionally going on a vacation, playing on the beach, whatever life is at that time is what it was. And we have no comprehension of what it's like to be married and what it is to have a relationship uh, and try to manage that. with Someone else that you may not always see eye to eye with, you may not always um, agree with. And other times, I mean, get into a relationship with somebody and it's just bad crazy love 
Um, and then reality sets in and you got to go back to work and you got to deal with that and coworkers and employees and customers and whatever business you do. I mean, those things all exist in every business. Um, and not taking it home or being able to take it home and have a discussion, be heard. Uh, so many aspects of marriage that like a child has no comprehension of. I mean, and it's impossible for them to. So, I mean, for me, everything changed once I got into a serious committed relationship. And it's not these fly-by-night dating for a week, we're fl- dating for a month, we're dating for six yeah, months, a, a year. I mean, those those are fun, yeah. but that's not how I mean when I mean relationship. It's the long term. You, you know, yeah. you're living with somebody. You see somebody. Me and my wife, when we met, worked together, lived together. We literally 24-7, 365 saw each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm super fortunate for us to have been able to grow up together. We had yeah. Tegan when we were young. I mean, she was 19, 20. I was 21, 22. Had no business having kids, but especially at that time. Because, I mean, you know, I was wild, wild. Um, but it set me down and gave me perspective and put me on this path. And I think that's when another time where you, your, your passion for me came through. I mean, the night I told you I was having uh, a baby, you bailed me out of jail. I mean, uh, those type of things is what changed our relationship so much. Um, And it's so difficult, like I was saying, for a young person to understand that because they just haven't experienced it yet. That's everything in life to me is experience. I'd spend all my money just being able to, to go out and experience different cultures and societies and the way people live. I think it makes life so much easier when you have an idea that either you're not the only one going through this, there's someone going through something much worse. Um, and I think people going through much better can be inspiration. Uh, there's all different aspects to it. Well, I think going back to when you were talking about you didn't talk much, and you didn't. You talk more now and communicate more now than you did when you are in high school. And your mom, I remember, I was an over-communicator because um, not only did – so when I was growing up, we got a we got a whipping with a belt or a board or whatever, and we didn't even really know why sometimes. <laughs> you know, but when you got in trouble, I wanted you to know what you did wrong, and then I want to ask you what could you have done differently, and then we talk about the consequences because I think I over communicated. Your mom said I talked you guys to death, but it was right. I didn't want you to be unclear about what the situation was. The other thing is, and I think you can attest to this, is I didn't panic when you got in trouble. Where your mom would, your mom, your mom believes that our kids, all three of you guys, are perfect, and you do nothing wrong. I know the truth, okay. So the truth doesn't surprise me, and so I took the approach because when I was growing up, if it could be done, I did it. If it had never been done, I created it is in my mind. That's the way I looked at it because, you know, I, we were like a pack of wolves. We did whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, however we wanted, and with whomever we wanted. And so for you to do something wrong, just an example of you hot-rodding the Camaro and blowing the tire off the rim. I'm like, I've done that. So I drive up. You're telling your mom you've had a flat. I'm looking at the tracks where you were smoking the tires and you had an accident. But I didn't panic, you know, and I think I think that to me was what you needed. You didn't need somebody yelling at you. 
you didn't need somebody screaming, I can't believe you did this. It was like, son, I've done the same thing. I know exactly what you're going through. Yeah. And I made sure you heard it that way. Absolutely. Um, I don't know that you were ready to receive that in high school. I think it took you, and I want to talk about some difficult times you went through. I think it took you going through living in your car and us not knowing about it. I think it took you going hungry and us not knowing about it, that you had so much pride that you refused to let us help you. And you know, you know all you had to do was call, but you would not do it. And that breaks my heart knowing now what you went through. So I want to talk a little bit about that. We bought you a mobile home. We give you everything. You go out on your own. What was going through your head when you were struggling with homelessness um, or not being able to eat? Uh, I think you said it was pride. I mean, it wasn't for a lack of effort. I mean, there was times where I'd work three jobs. Yeah, I remember I was working at Walmart, Quiznos, um, and... In between that tire shop or the pizza place, I mean, but any given time, I, I would work my butt off. I mean, mm-hmm. you never been, I mean, for money, you'll work. My problem for food, you, you might not work for breakfast that morning yeah. and raking grass. But if you were going to make money, man, you were there's I've never known you not work, Absolutely. always work. You're still that way, still that way. I just had mismanaged priorities. I mean, I, I'd like to party, I'd like to have a good time. Like I said, when I was kind of going out earlier with the getting out of the house, I mean, I went from moment of constriction to absolute release mm-hmm. it did not matter what i did i was doing everything kind of like you were talking about you know did what i wanted when i wanted because i had the freedom i, mm-hmm. I totally just let it all out uh to a fault i mean i put myself in bad positions uh because i wasn't frugal with my money i wasn't fiscally responsible i mean things at words i didn't even know back then or if I, I i knew them i didn't know what they actually meant um but you're right I absolutely could have picked up the phone got a house to sleep in had to put my head a pillow to put my head on a hot meal but i i wanted to prove that i didn't need y'all i mean from the moment you and mom were together i wanted out and i did everything i could but i mean as a child you don't have a whole lot of choices or options i mean no one's going to hire you at 14 <laughs> to be able to make money, legitimately <laughs> anyways. Uh, legitimately is the key so word. So, I mean, yeah. that last semester of high school, I saw the, the light at the end of the tunnel, and you guys were setting me up to be able to exit. I, uh, I did that. And running 100 miles an hour. Some of our viewers are going to think, oh, gosh, we were terrible parents. Oh, no. We're terrible. But do you remember the three rules? that I had I had three rules in that so house. I was going over this yesterday and I want to say respect me respect your mother and I don't know if it's respect yourself or it respect 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 your mom and I respect yourself and respect our stuff outside of that I really didn't get upset over anything you know when you're disrespecting yourself which would be living in a uh, terrible behaviors things that will hurt you because I think what happens in a blended marriage, the kids don't believe if they hurt themselves, it hurts the parents. It does. I, I love your mom. Now, we've had our ups and downs like any marriage, but your mom is my very best friend. If she hurts, 
If someone hurts her, Papa Bear gets mad. If I'm hurt, Mama Bear gets mad. And that's the way it should be. So if she, if you hurt her by doing something, by default, you hurt me. Now, hurt is a, in, in my mind, is a definition of disappointment. Uh, hurt, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking you, you could do better, and yet you do less. Uh, and I'll give you a, a great example of that. And I know 100% you hated school. Very much so. I think okay. the school system fails our kids, a majority of our kids, every single day. Every day. I, I, I can't disagree with that. We I'm do a tactile need to, person. I need to put my hands on it to learn it. Which brings me to the next point. When we sent you to Votech, you excelled beyond our wildest Top of dreams. my class. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to me, I think you're right. Let's, let's think about what you're really good at. I wish that we could go back, mistakes-wise, right? I wish I could go back and maybe at 10th grade get you into a Votech program where you could actually work with your hands. That's on me. I, if we could have got you in a carpentry school or something, you could have excelled a lot earlier, I believe, because you would have been so in tune and so focused on enjoying what you were doing. Um, I was probably way disconnected from the education piece with you and your brother and your sister. I just... I let the school do their thing. My fault. I, I should have been more engaged in probably what you were interested in. However, communication was fragmented for us at that time. That I mean, I don't know that I, I exactly the communication was fragmented. I wouldn't have communicated um, anything was wrong, and I did exactly what I needed to be a C student to pass. Mm -hmm. I mean, didn't do Thank any more. I didn't do any less. In every single one of my, I can make a 90 in biology and the teacher put on the report card, tries, the student tries to sleep in class, every report card. It's because you it's did not sleep that I, in class. I, I didn't, remember that. it's not that I didn't comprehend or didn't understand. I just, for one, didn't care about it. And two, I had a lot of real world experiences at an early age. So it's like, how useful is this? I mean, why are we spending so much time on something that I have no desire to be in a career in? Not going to be botanist or a biologist or a surgeon i mean why am i spending time doing this and i think the basics are important for everybody to know i mean um as a, as a whole for the education system i think we spend a lot of time focusing on things that aren't going to be relative to the to the specific kid um and i think that's something that has to change uh to have more targeted education uh, I like I like what you're saying there, and and this is another topic for another day. But we're gonna be we're gonna be doing a show on education, and I'm a big proponent of trying to find um, the natural skill sets of kids as early as possible, and then allowing them to explore that and see if that's something they want to do. So we we'll definitely be covering that uh, in a future show. The let me let me, and I know you've said there's a couple of things that that have been impactful for you in the way I showed compassion, but not just one thing, but is there a big moment? Is there a defining moment in our relationship that you feel like really turned the point? Not that we're where we are today, because that's been a, a, a process, but was there a defining moment that changed the way you viewed me and more accepted me 
in moving forward in a relationship. In a relationship and a fellowship we're going to talk about next, but but I want to just start with that relationship. I mean, just as you were talking about moment whenever Jerry passed away, no stranger to hurt and pain and loss. And things I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And I, Sorry. 16, 17 years. And it's still struggle to talk about it. But the night dad passed away. Again, we showed up. Oh. To be there for me. That was huge. I would definitely say that was one of the best moments. Going to the hospital room, seeing him. <laughs> and then you come in, see me on the ground, and pick me up, <laughs> consoling me. Just like I said, I didn't deserve that level of compassion. Didn't uh, deserve any compassion. I didn't show you any. Um, for sure, one of the biggest moments. Oh, yeah, I know that's tough, son. Like I said, 16, 17 years, it still doesn't get easy. Well, I know, uh, I think at that time, because I remember that's when you and your brother asked me to do the funeral for you guys, which I did. I was honored to do so. I think at that time, I think that was the time I was in seminary or pretty close to. And I liken my compassion for you even though maybe I wasn't getting it back, is the same compassion that Christ showed me when I didn't deserve it. Because over my life, I've done things um, 100%. I don't deserve his love. And I, I think I loved you before you could love me. Uh, but my love was because of who you were and what I knew you had in the tank. Now, I didn't know how to fill your tank. I didn't know how to help you get where you needed to go. I think that came later. Um, but if that's the turning point, I am so honored that I was there for you and would be there for you again tomorrow if you needed it. You know that. Um, I, re I do remember that being very difficult. And there was times when you know, I feel like we had to um, work through some things, even for me to go help Mike with things, you know, while he was struggling. And I think that, you know, your mom and I wanted to help Mike because of how much you and Hunter loved him. It didn't matter. It didn't matter the situation. It didn't matter that that was her ex-husband. It mattered that that's your dad, and your dad needs help, so we helped. 
and that's the way it's supposed to be. And fast forward, I remember before we moved and before you told me about Tegan on the way, I remember us something that was very fun for me was going to the cinema grill. Do you remember that night? We're sitting at the bar, waiting on our movie. Uh, I remember the bartender coming over. I don't, I don't remember what I ordered. And you ordered, son, what do you want? And he looks up at you and looks down at me <laughs> and looked up at you. And that's your son? I said, yes, that's my son. And I, I saw something in your eyes that day because you knew I meant every word of it. And I know probably before that, it might have felt like lip service to you, but it wasn't. Um, you know, I go back to one of the statements I made earlier about materialistic things and one of the major mistakes that I had. Two things that I think I said, I said to you that tore into your emotional state. One was when we, you were in the Mustang. And I don't know if you remember this. Your mom was driving you and a few other football guys to some event. And I was in the SUV, and I had a pile in there, you know. And these are these are the things that haunt me. Um, <laughs> this is going to be funny, but you farted in my car. Because <laughs> remember, it was a brand-new car. And I got mad about that. And it was like, I'm, I'm looking back and I'm thinking, how stupid, how stupid was that? And I don't know that I ever apologized to you for saying that, but I'm, I'm sorry. The next one that really haunts me is when we were at church. We were after church one day and I was talking to a couple of people and your mom and I were, and you honked at us when we were outside the vehicle. Like, hurry up. How dare you talk to people? And I said something to you that was pretty bad. And I'm like, what am I thinking? Because I believe, I believe that we should be very careful with our words. And your mom has this great saying, words are like toothpaste. Once you squeeze the tube, you can't put them back in. And I'm sure that there's other things that I've said that were damaging, you know, to your ego or to your emotional state. Um, and I think parents often do that. I, I don't want to say every parent, but I know the, the household I grew up in, you were told, you were called many things. And that's where I think some of the mistakes that blended marriages make is that we have to be very careful with our words because words are things we can't take back. And I know you, you've said a lot of things. You've called me a lot of things. I don't even want to think about some of the things that might have happened while we weren't there, but it's easier for me to forgive and move on, but it's harder for me to forgive myself for saying things to you. And those are major mistakes that sometimes people can't get over, really. And, um, you know, we're, we're encountering that right now in a family. You know, it, it's, it's every day in almost every family. There's going to be some conflict or some confrontation where someone says something that they shouldn't say. So what I would caution our viewers on, what I would caution you on this dirt road, is don't let that pothole be something you say you can't get back. 
and um, I heard a um, heard a really good sermon one time by a pastor named Bill Saxby. Um, he's our pastor at a church that we attended, and Bill's a phenomenal communicator, and he was preaching a whole series on guardrails, son, and uh, this was a great, great series of messages about things that you put guardrails up. And something dawned on me, and I, I think about this often. On any road that we travel, every 100 miles, there's 200 miles of ditches. The likelihood to get in the ditch and get off the road is much more likely if you're not paying attention and staying focused on where you're supposed to go. And those guardrails are what help us do that. And so communication is a type of guardrail. Having a plan for whatever it could be is a guardrail. Communication in, in all aspects, whether it be with the kids, whether it be with the, the spouse, uh, counseling could be a guardrail. We, we have to find in any situation in a blended marriage what those guardrails need to be, and we need to make sure we put those guardrails up. And I can tell you, I didn't understand guardrails until you guys were out of the house. And I think I think if I could go back, and we can't, but if I can give this message to someone today that is thinking about getting married, that has kids, and you have kids, and you're going to blend this family together, sit down and draw out what the guardrails are. And your mom, before we ever went on our first date, had a legal pad of the things I'm not going to do, okay? She's not going to tolerate me talking bad to her. She's not going to tolerate, I mean, all kinds of things. Uh, going to church was one of the things we're going to do. We're going to stay focused in the church. I think, honestly, if we were not as close in the church and, and fellowshipping with other believers, our marriage would not have survived the first three years. And we got plugged into a faith community church in the Woodlands with Dr. Dave Anderson, which he is, you know, one of the um, series, the shows we're going to do with him. And it, he really helped us work through some things, especially when Jerry died. Because, you know, I was, I was lost. I was confused. Um, so when you think about, let's say, giving some advice to a young person that is about to become part of a blended family, my advice would be find the guardrails for the parents. But yours as a kid, what would your advice be to that 13 or 14-year-old kid that is about to be thrown into new siblings, new parent, maybe new house, maybe new town, maybe new school, all of these things that are all change? What advice would you give them? nothing's forever ever the only thing constant in life is change don't focus so much on what's going on I was kind of mentioned earlier as far as not avoiding the past but just being done with it and I'm at a point where I'm looking to the future whenever you're young uh, your preteen teen young adult age everything is so much in the moment you're experiencing so much you're getting so much input uh, and I think that's part of 
why young people are resistant to anything from their parents is because they're constantly getting input from a teacher, school bus driver, from their parents, from a coach, from counselor at school. I mean, they're, they're being told so many things. Um, and parents are the, are the ones you love, but you can also take for granted. So mm. um, That's a powerful statement. Just, I think we hear everything, but certainly choose not to listen. <laughs> um, but <laughs> as, as a young person, not focusing on what's wrong right now um, and knowing that, you know, five days from now, five weeks from now, five months from now, five years from now, nothing will be the same. I've got a big rule I live by in my life. If something will not affect me in five years, I don't spend more than five minutes on it. I'm not going to harp on the little stuff. I know you mentioned about the, the farting in the car, like that kind of stuff. I totally understand because, I mean, there's been moments where I get tremendously mad about something so insignificant. Yep. Uh, and I realize every day I really practice being conscious of my actions and my behavior and my words and um, just being thoughtful about everything I do. And as a young person, person, that's hard to do because you don't have enough thoughts to be thoughtful. You haven't had enough experience. You haven't done enough things to make opinions of things that are either accurate or well thought out. You know, you bring up a good point about experiences. And we, we all bring what I would say are preconceived experiences into the relationship. Um, some people like to call it, my worldview is X, right? Or I view things as X. Blending those together, you know, my, my worldview was much different than your worldview. And you just mentioned, well, I didn't have the experiences to do this. I think if I could go back, which we can't, but maybe someone can can pick up on this, is that we need to identify what is our worldview and, and openly discuss that. My, my worldview was, uh, believe it or not, I looked at it as, oh, my gosh, now i got two sons. I'm going to be able to have fun. We're going to go to football games. We're going to go to baseball games. We're going to – you know, because I'm thinking of all the things I can do with a son. We can go hunting. We can go fishing. And it was like, uh, I don't want you breathing the same air that I have is kind of the, the pushback I got. And, and so I think sitting down ahead of time and working through what do we want this family to look like? Do we want it to be communicative? Do we, you know, I want to do my own thing. Because you're right, I think there's too much stimulus coming in to kids now that you almost have to take away their, um, take away everything and focus on the conversation at hand and help them work through the, the thought process. My concern, not to get on the education piece too much, is that maybe our education is not allowing them to think for themselves. 100%. It's driving information in, memorize information, test on the information. And, and I would say that even my education was fairly guilty of that. Whereas I try to, and that's why I love a whiteboard, as you know, I'll map a 
process out or a project out or a problem out on a whiteboard to try to work through and come up with a solution. And when I think about where relationships go in a blended family, I think all communication and having that uh, communication together, developing their own worldview. What are we going to look like? You know, we, of course, you know, you, we got our, you know, the daughter once a month and all the summers and all those things. What does that look like? Because I mean, we take a vacation at spring break or do we take one in the summer? You know, how do we do that? And I don't think that we knew how to communicate all those things out. And, um, but communication to me is the key. So that's the advice you could give is just remember that things don't last forever. Uh, mine is if it doesn't impact eternity, really how big is it? Okay. Don't, there's a great book out who moved my cheese, you know, don't sweat the small stuff, even this and everything small stuff, because the reality is, is that the difficulties we have today, I don't really remember. I had to kind of go back and think about them. Absolutely. Because where we are today is I feel like we're great friends, confidants. We enjoy being together. Uh, I worry about when I don't talk to you for a few days or, or hear from you because, you know, that's, that's what parents do. I guess we go, have you talked to Cole? And, uh, you know, have you talked to the kids, you know? And so I know where you are. Um, you've got a, a great marriage. I'm not saying it's without troubles like any other marriage, but you got a great wife. You got a great daughter who I just adore is my only grandbaby. Um, and I'm a poppy. So I love it when she says poppy, I say, what you need, baby. But you have come to a point where I'm looking at you from afar and I am beyond proud. I'm beyond proud of where you are in your work where you are in your marriage. Um, I love to hear that you are slightly militant in your view of raising your child because it does mean that, you know, you're you're strict, but yet you give enough leeway to make mistakes. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. I mean, on the flip side of the coin, from a young person's perspective to now being a parent, um, same idea as the guardrails. I mean, I, I, I want to make sure um, she understands... Right? Not to take it too far, but I also want to give her enough freedom to be able to develop her own opinion, to be able to develop her own worldview. I don't want to moderate or create it for her. I mean, she has to, I think it's so important to be an independent thinker, to be able to create an opinion on your own and not just regurgitate when you heard on TikTok, Facebook, mm -hmm. or the news, or whatever input you got it from your teacher, your parent, to be able Brand. to have a real genuine, exactly. Um, and she's fortunate at 12, she's had a lot of, experiences herself i mean to be able to understand that not everybody who says they're your friend or your friend or mm. you know uh we just had a real recent one where she laughed at something someone did she got pulled into the office for laughing which i mean school and i may have a conversation about this after the holiday break but um it letting her figure it out and Avoiding any severe consequences. Unfortunately, I feel like as a young person, you can get away with so much. Um, and I think we get caught up on this is such a bad thing. It's such the end of the world. But is it? Look at me. Yeah. I, I, I really did it in for myself when I was younger. And I am super happy. Marriage, my work life, fatherhood. I mean, super fortunate to be where I am.
Uh, and I'm. But it's very, not without work. Well, it is with it, you. Do have to work at yeah. it. It's uh, and you and I talked about this before. You know, marriage is marriage is a job. You 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 brought that up earlier. And I'll just don't tell our wives that. <laughs> yes, they, they, don't. They, don't, they don't like hearing that. But you got to make the choice to show up every day. You do have to make the choice. And, and, and I don't like it when it's when people say it's 50-50 because that's not true. It's 100-100. Absolutely. There's days, there's days it's tough for me to be there. So your mom overlaps that. Same thing with you and Brittany. There's days that it's difficult for you to show up because you're, you're just spent. You've had that day at work. You've had all these things going on. And you get home and it's like, I have nothing else left to give. So you, you need that partner, that best friend that is going to give for you. Pick up and the slack. That's right. That's right. It's a, it's a full-time job. It's a job that is the most fulfilling job in the world. Absolutely. And I believe that in just in, in my situation, even in the most difficult times when you don't know if you're going to make it and you come out the other side, I go back to your previous statement about young people don't have the experiences. People that are in truly successful marriages have gone through some deep valleys that they've come out on the other side and they can look back and say, we made it. Because there's, you don't want two people not pulling the wagon at the same time. You know, that's when it gets tough. But in those times, if you come back together and pull the wagon, and your mom and I have done that, you come back and you look at it and you say, I am grateful and I am happy with where we are. Because, go back to the beginning, when we talk about the statistics, 40 to 50% of first marriages don't survive. 60 to 70% of second marriages don't survive. And third marriages is even higher. Absolutely. So the likelihood of us making it to the end of our life is against the odds, but we will be willing to beat those odds. And I think all the experiences that we've gone through, the struggles with you, I, I used to say this, the first five years of our marriage, we had 50 years. We had a lot of stuff going on and we didn't even get into some of the good stuff. But I look back at that and that was a blip on the radar screen. I feel like, We've been married forever, and I look at you, and I look at our family, and I look at all the things that's going on, and I'm thinking, even in those struggles, I wouldn't trade a moment of it. Life is what we say it is. Well, faith manifesting. A lot of people want to have frou-frou connotations and stuff like that, but our mindset truly creates our environment. Negative person, and all you have is negative thoughts, and you focus on them, that will be future, destiny. If you choose to believe that everything is going to work out in your favor, it will. One more statement, one more question. If I had advice to give a man or a woman that's about to get married in a blended family, I would say make sure God's in the center of that relationship. Make sure you're communicating. Work on counseling. And make sure you put up guardrails. If I ask you as a, uh, a teenager or a child that's about to go into a blended family, what three or four high-level things would you advise them on? Be more understanding, forgiving. Not everyone has bad intentions. 
I mean, everyone has so many things going on in their life and it's easy to fall to a victim mentality that it they're against me or I were enemies. I mean, we have our own struggles in every aspect of our lives that we have to deal with. Um, and understanding that someone else has a walk of life, whether it be a step-parent or actual parent, friends, your teacher, we all have a ton of people around us or a lack there of people. We just try to be more compassionate, more understanding. Today's not tomorrow and tomorrow's not yesterday. I mean, we, we life changes. That's, that's the most constant thing in life is that nothing's going to be the same. And one thing I say when I get up every morning is that's the only decision I truly get to make today that doesn't have any outside uh, influence is my attitude. Whether I'm going to show up and be compassionate to people and be understanding and choose your mindset. That's good. Love you, son. I love you too. That's a wrap.